everyone, welcome to Schweitzer Church. Wherever you are, we are so glad you're here. I'm Corey, and I'll be our host in this online worship experience. If you're new with us today, we have a gift we'd love to give you. Check in online, and we'll send you a virtual Starbucks gift card. Enjoy a brew on us. Today, we're in week 14 of our sermon series on David. Spencer will be leading us through the powerful message that God has for us. And speaking of the message, we have sermon discussion questions and more available at schweitzer.church next. We encourage you to follow along and look there for more ways to get involved. And now, here's Stephanie to tell us more about what's happening here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Welcome to Schweitzer. The fall semester is almost upon us and we are going to be kicking off some fantastic new groups and programs for kids, students, and adults on Wednesday nights beginning September 6th. And just to make your Wednesday nights a little bit easier, we're going to be offering a midweek Chick-fil-A meal that you can register for ahead of time online, and it will be served in Memorial Hall from 5.15 to 6.15. Get all the details, find a group, and register for your sandwich online at schweitzer.church slash Wednesday. On Tuesday nights this fall, we also have several new short-term classes starting up, including Alpha, a great place to ask questions about your faith, Strengthening Your Marriage, which is fantastic for young couples, and a new class on loneliness, which is going to explore what this looks like in our own lives as well as in our culture today. You can find out more about all these classes and groups at schweitzer.church groups. It's hard to believe, but next weekend is Labor Day weekend. We'll be having Family Worship Weekend, which means that you can enjoy either of our worship services at 9 or 10.30 with your entire family. We'll be having a very special bluegrass band to lead us in worship that day as well. Of course, if you're traveling that weekend, you can still enjoy the same great message and featured worship at schweitzer.live or on our YouTube channel anytime. This year, we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Schweitzer Food Pantry along with Flourish. We want you to be a part of a very special celebration on Saturday, September 30th, as we share stories of all that God is doing and has done through this ministry over the past two decades. You can pick up your tickets today at the Flourish table in the Fellowship Center, and you can find out more online at schweitzer.church flourish. One last reminder, if you are new to Schweitzer, it is not too late to join us today for our Next Steps Lunch. This is a great place where you can find a group to connect in or even find a way to serve. Please consider joining us in the Fellowship Center at 1145. We are so grateful that you've chosen to join us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. Just as a reminder, you can sign up for any or all of these events at schweitzer.church next. And if you're worshiping with us live today, we encourage you to join us in the chat. Say hi to your friends, give us your insights, and if you're in need of prayer, click the prayer button and someone will be right with you. And now, 
let's continue in worship.
found in your grace, your faithfulness, my fortress over and over. As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Holy God, I thank you that we can join together in worship and fellowship. And I thank you that you're always there with us through the good times and the bad times. I thank you that even when we mess up, that you still are there to build us back up. And so God, I pray that, uh, that when we make mistakes, that you help us to turn from those and to look towards you and I just pray for, for grace and peace as we move forward and learn to be more like you. And now, as we continue to seek to be more like you, we join together in praying the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, I'm excited to share with you a new ministry coming to Schweitzer this fall. Alpha is a space for open and judgment-free conversation. It's perfect for anyone who's looking to start their faith, restart their faith, or if you just have questions and want to discuss. Let's take a closer look at what Alpha can do for you. We share things every day, things that are meaningful to us, that entertain, inspire, or challenge us. We share moments, good or bad, big or small, because what we share matters. We have the chance to share something incredible, the hope that has transformed our lives. And today, more than ever, people are searching for hope, for connection, for meaning. The life we've experienced in Jesus is available to our friends and neighbors and it's easier to share than we might think. Over the next few weeks, we are running Alpha, an opportunity to share Jesus with friends, family, and colleagues in person or online. Each week, we'll connect with each other, watch a short video, and have time to discuss our thoughts and questions without needing to have all the answers. All it takes is a simple invitation. Share life, faith, hope, Jesus. Who will you invite? I'm Gary Potts, a very grateful member of Schweitzer Church. And I was born and raised right here in Springfield, Missouri. 
I was fortunate that my family started taking me to church when I was around six years old. But growing up, my family literally never talked about the Christian faith. I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of personal struggles. I've had many turning points in my life to get me on track and one of them was the opportunity to participate in the Alpha Course. It was a wonderful, fun, relaxing, life-changing experience. In our small groups, we got to talk about our fears, our, our doubts, our struggles, and how they intersect, and we got to ask a lot of questions. It was a wonderful experience, and it was such a great experience, I want others to experience it too. Alpha will start this fall on September the 12th, and it is gonna be on Tuesday evenings. So all of you Chiefs fans out there, you don't have to worry. You won't miss a single game. So come and see. Thanks, Gary, for sharing with us your experience with Alpha. Alpha is a great space for anyone who is curious about their faith. And it's because of your generosity that ministries like this can happen at Schweitzer and around our community. As a reminder, you can continue to give by going to schweitzer.church give or by using our mobile church center app. Thank you so much for your generosity. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week 14 of our sermon series on David. Friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here today. We are continuing our series on King David. We're almost at the end. We started this Memorial Day weekend, going to Labor Day weekend, only two weeks left of this series. And we're spending so much time on this. We dug uh, so deep into this because there's just so much to learn from King David. So today we're going to be in 2 Samuel 24 as well as in Psalm 20. And as we've neared the end of the series and the last few weeks that we've been going through this, I've been using this word unravel to describe David. It kind of makes me think of like a cloth that starts to fray at the end. And that's what David seems to be doing in this latter part of his life as we've been walking through the last few weeks. We've seen some pretty dark things, some disturbing things, some uh, some ways that David has grown complacent and he's maybe taken his eyes off the Lord, some ways that he's allowed uh, sin and dysfunction to happen within his family as he's not um, led as he's always done in his life. He's, he hasn't led his family well. And uh, so as we near the end, we're going to see, frankly, more of the same today as we see David uh, have some some complacency in his, in his heart and, and put his trust in the wrong things. And yet as we go through this, it's also important to remember, you know, that David is the ideal king of the Bible. So yes, he fails and there's all kinds of ways that he doesn't uh, live a perfect life, but but every king after him, if you go read the Bible, is going to be compared to David, whether good or bad. And even Jesus, the son of God, he is going to be called the son of David over and over and over in the Bible. So even though David has some struggles here at the end, we, we need to remember that he is still this picture 
of the ideal king. And honestly, we're going to see some failure today, but we're also going to see again why it is that David is lifted up so much time after time after time as the ideal king. So today, 2 Samuel 24, we're going to start in verse 1. Let's work our way through this. And, and this passage starts out in a very interesting place. Here's how it goes. It says, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. That's language of judgment. And then listen to this. It says, and he, the Lord, incited David against them, that is the people of Israel, saying, go take a census of Israel and Judah. Now that is a very interesting place to start this uh, this passage here. And right off the bat, there are two questions to be asked. I mean, first of all, I mean, obviously the census is being tied to God's judgment. So, so why? Why is a why is a census? Why would a census be a be a problem? And then with that, of course, the, the other question is why would the Lord be inciting David to take this problematic census? So let's talk through those two questions. Why is the census a problem? And then why is the Lord inciting David to do this? And we'll start with the bigger question. Is the Lord causing David to sin? Why is the Lord inciting this to happen? And and because of what it says, right, the Lord incited David to do this. And it it sounds like this is a, a, a problematic thing to do. So is the Lord inciting David to sin? And of course, as you can imagine, there's all kinds of debates about this. And I love to get into the debates that we have in the Bible about this. And some of the debate in the about this passage here is actually in the Bible. <laughs> There's debates within the scripture itself. So, so as you read the Bible, the story of David is told in the books of First and Second Samuel. In the Hebrew Bible, that's one book. It's just Samuel. And we've been pulling from that in this series. But that's not the only place you find the story of David. You also find the story of David in the books of the Chronicles. And so in First Chronicles 21, this is also a place in the Bible you would find the story of the census. And listen to how First Chronicles 21 starts out, because it's got a Little detail that's actually a very big deal. Uh, verse 1 of First Chronicles 21. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Same events, right? The census that David takes here. I mean, you see it, right? Very, very same events. And it goes on to tell the same story, but a very different start. So what's going on here? Did the Lord cause this? Did Satan cause this? What's, what's happening here? Well, traditionally, the way both Christians and Jews for centuries have um, interpreted this is that, is that when we look at the Bible, one of the things that we understand is that, is that when it comes to evil, uh, the Lord is permissive. The Lord is permissive of evil. Um, that is that the Lord allows evil to happen. And we see this um, throughout the Bible, but this is a, a really hard concept for a lot of people to get. And it oftentimes, when people don't get this, it leads to a crisis of faith. But the Lord, that he allows evil um, to happen. I mean, think about this. We see this in the Bible in lots and lots of places. The Lord, he doesn't cause sin. He doesn't cause evil. And it's not his will that these things happen, but he allows these things to happen. The Lord allows Adam and Eve to be tempted and he allows them to eat of the fruit. The Lord allows the temptation of Job. He allows the temptation of Jesus. He allows the injustice of the cross. Like there's all these places where this happens and where this gets really difficult is not just that the Lord allows this evil to happen. He allows evil to happen even when it hurts other people. And that's not to say that God is causing these things to happen, nor is it God's will that these things happen. 
but as to say that God allows them to happen. And this is where the crisis of faith comes in. Recently, I was talking to a woman who's going through a divorce, and she asked a question that lots of people ask when they're faced with evil. She asked, why did God let this happen? Right? God is permissive of evil, so why did God let this happen? And what we see of the Bible is that God is permissive of evil. God allows evil to happen. He lets us be tempted. He lets us make choices. He lets us make harmful choices. He lets us make choices that harm others. This is the way that the Bible presents this. And I know that's not satisfying that God is permissive of evil, but the alternative to that is really not satisfying that God would be preventative of evil. I mean, if God prevented evil, then you and I have no freedom, no choice, no agency. Therefore, God is coercive. I mean, this just doesn't hold up. And so uh, we, we look at this, this biblical truth that God is permissive of evil. Now, let's take this one step further. And this is going to wrap back around to David and the census. Um, but one of the things that we see in the Bible is that God is not just permissive of evil. Um, God's permissiveness of evil is also a form of judgment, of sin. Because the biblical truth is that sin has consequences. A hundred percent of the time, there are consequences to our sin. And so when God allows evil to happen, when, when there is a, a permissiveness here of evil, it also means that God is allowing the consequences of those choices of that evil to happen as well. Um, probably the best example of this in the Bible is the Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. You know the story, or hopefully you know the story. Moses is sent by the Lord to confront Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh, the Bible tells us, has a hard heart. And so Pharaoh is stubborn and he is arrogant. And in his hard heart, the Lord um, sends 10 plagues to get his attention. And this really fascinating thing happens on the seventh of the 10 plagues. So, you know, we're deep into the plagues at this point. And at the seventh of the 10 plagues, the, the wording around Pharaoh's heart changes. And this is how the Bible says it in, in uh, the seventh plague. It says, quote, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Up until every other time, the six plagues before this, Pharaoh had had a hard heart, but in the seventh plague, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So it's almost as if what happens is that the Lord is like, all right, Pharaoh, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to give you what you want. You, you want to be stubborn and arrogant and cynical and angry? Fine. But there are consequences that come with that. I'm going to give you what you want, which is to have a hard heart, to be arrogant and cynical and angry. You, you can have that. But there's consequences, and one of the consequences is drowning in the Red Sea because you're just so prideful that you want to hold on to power at all costs. In a similar way, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about this um, judgment of God that comes upon us by God letting us continue in our sin. Romans 1, just a couple of verses here, verse 18, Paul writes, The wrath of God, the judgment of God, is being revealed, some passages say poured out, but revealed from heaven, against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress their truth by their wickedness. Skip down to a few verses, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over. God gave us over to the sinful desires in our hearts too. And then he goes on and lists a long list of things that the Lord is okay. If you want to live like this, you want to live with sexual immorality, you want to live with violence and arrogance, go for it. But... There are consequences, and those consequences are part of the judgment. It's just, I'm going to let you, I'm, I'm going to let you go the, down that road. So the Lord is permissive of evil, and he doesn't spare us from the consequences. And this is how life works. You know, for instance, it could be that you have all kinds of anger, and you've got a temper, 
And the Lord's going to be like, okay, you want to live your life like that with this anger and this temper that's out of control? Go for it. I'm not going to stop you. But there's consequences. Don't be surprised when no one wants anything to do with you and you wreck relationship after relationship after relationship. Or, or it could be like, the Lord's like, okay, you want to you hold on to bitterness and resentment in your heart? Great, go for it. I'm not going to stop you from that. But you should know there are consequences and you're just going to end up angry and cynical and jaded and cut off from people because your heart has been hard. Or, or, or the Lord's like, okay, you want to make these choices. You want to live into sexual morality and look at these websites and fill your mind with just pornographic filth. Go for it. But you should know there's consequences that come with the warping of your mind and dissatisfaction in marriage and all kinds of uh, depression that comes along with, with any addictive behavior. So, you know, it's, it's your decision. The Lord is allowing us to live into this, but also allowing us to reap the consequences of the choices that we've made. And this is where we find ourselves now with David. Did the Lord cause David to sin or did Satan? Well, the answer is probably yes. I mean, it's probably both. Because probably what's happening with David, my theory here is that, is that some of what's happening with David is he has what we might call um, disordered desires. That's not my phrase, but I love it, so I'm going to use it. A disordered desire is where you have um, lived your life with the wrong priorities. You've disordered the desires of your heart so that the wrong things are coming first and the wrong priorities are there and you're chasing after the wrong things. And so you have a heart that is disordered from the way that it should be um, as someone who is um, focused on the Lord. And so David probably has some disordered desires that are focused on the wrong kind of thing. And the Lord is saying, okay, David, your heart is disordered. This is the path that you're going to go. God's not going to get in the way, but there are consequences that come with this. And this comes brings us to verse 2. So the king, King David, said to Joab, his general, and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing? Now this brings us to the second question that we posed earlier. Why would the census be a problem? I mean, what, what, what is about this? Because it seems like a census is just good administrative organizational leadership, right? You should know how many people you are. I mean, full disclosure here, we have a church database. I, I know how many members we have. I, I know what our church attendance is. Is that, is that wrong to have those kinds of numbers? Well, it could be. If I have disordered desires, it could very easily be. If, it, if it's about feeding my pride as the lead pastor to see what our attendance is or our membership is or those kinds of things, that can very well be um, a problem. Or it could be a way of taking care of our church body. In the same way, David is counting these, these men. As you read the passage, he was very specifically wanting to counting the, the fighting men. So his disordered desire here is about his military might. It's about his power. It's about how strong his army is. And coming from David... That is very concerning. I think about something that David wrote in his prayer journal, Psalm 20. Um, this is not written about the census. It was written earlier in his life, but it's so worth reading as you think about the census and what he's going through now. So let's read through Psalm 20, just, just a few verses here. Um, starts off, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you Help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. 
May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. And then comes verse seven. And if you're reading from your Bible, you should underline this. You should memorize this. This is such a good verse. Verse seven, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees, those who trust in chariots and horses, that is, and fall. But we, because we stand in the Lord, we rise up and stand firm. So Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. That's Psalm 20. So that line, Psalm 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in their military might, some trust in what they have, but we trust in the Lord. And this is the theme of this psalm. This is the theme of David's life, that I am going to trust in the Lord and not in my military might, not in what I have, not what I can accomplish, not in my own success and all my resources. I am going to trust in the Lord. I mean, this psalm, Psalm 20, it sounds like it was written by the same 15-year-old boy who stood face to face with Goliath, who didn't have an army surrounding him, but stood to face this giant of a man without armor and shield and sword and javelin. He didn't have chariots and horses to depend on and said he had five smooth stones and a sling. And yet trusting in the Lord, he was able to overcome. I mean, think about some of the things that 15-year-old boy said on that battlefield that day against Goliath, saying to King Saul in 1 Samuel 17, David said, the Lord who rescued me, not right, the Lord who did this, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. To Goliath that day, he said this, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Again, to Goliath, he says, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Now compare that 15-year-old boy to this king later in life, probably in his late 50s, early 60s, who has achieved success. He has accumulated. He has power. He has might. He has had all kinds of victories. And now what is he doing as he measures how much uh, military might he has? You compare these two, these two people and it's, you see quite obviously that David has changed. His desires have changed. He's living the opposite of Psalm 20 verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Instead, David's in the opposite and he's saying, no, no, no. Some trust in the name of the Lord our God. I'm gonna trust in my chariots. I'm going to trust in my horses. I want to know how much I have and all that I have, that is what I'm going to trust in today. I think that says something about what happens sometimes, not always, but sometimes when we age. I mean, as, as we age, we, we tend to, again, not, not always, but we tend to accumulate more. As we age, we tend to, again, not always, but we tend to grow in authority um, in our jobs or, or maybe in our families, we, we tend to grow in authority. As we age, we tend to, again, we don't always, but we tend to grow in wisdom and we know how to navigate things in life in different ways than we did when we were younger. And, and, and as we age, I think there's also then this, this temptation as we have more resources and more knowledge and more authority, more power, do we start to trust in those things 
other than the Lord. And this is really the temptation that comes with prosperity. As you grow in prosperity, as you have more, there is a temptation to put your trust in what you have for security, for confidence, for your identity, rather than to trust in the Lord. And so for the last several weeks, what we've seen is David has failed in this temptation with prosperity. He's grown complacent, lazy. He's taken his eyes off what the Lord has. And my theory is that what's happening here is that the Lord sees what's going on in David's heart, these disordered desires that are within him. And he's like, okay, this is what you want. You want to trust in chariots and horses? I'm not going to stand in the way of this decision, um, right? But there are consequences. The Lord is permissive, but he then allows the consequences to happen. So we go back to 2 Samuel 24. We keep reading about the census. Remember, Joab has told David, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. But verse 4 says, The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Verse 8, After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem. At the end of nine months and 20 days, it took 10 months to measure all these people, count all these people. Verse 9, Joab reported the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword. And in Judah, 500,000. Now, if the story ended here, this would be so depressing. I mean, this would just be another story of a godly leader who unravels, and loses sight of the Lord and has disordered desires in their life. And this would just be so depressing. And this would also be a story that we see all the time. Another leader, another godly leader unraveling right before our eyes. And, and this is a story that's so common. I mean, we could name names of high profile people, people who build significant ministries and have significant impact but they unravel and there's, there's, you know, their name makes the news and it's, it's a big deal. And, and I, I've heard, I've heard some people talking lately about how there is this, um, leadership crisis in the American church because of all these godly leaders who are unraveling at the end of their ministries. And, and I, like, I hear that. And I think, yeah, that's probably true. But also the same thing happened to David 3000 years ago. So maybe, maybe what we're seeing as well is that the sinful human heart has been around for a long, long time. And these temptations are not new. They're just getting lived out in a different kind of way. And so if David's story ended here, it'd be another sad story. And there'd be a temptation just to become cynical and jaded and to think, ah, here's another godly leader who unravels and who loses it at the end. But this is not the end of the story. Thankfully, and we have to remember that um, despite David's failures and despite his, his problems and his complacency and his disordered desires, we have to remember that David is consistently lifted up in the Bible as an ideal king. He is consistently going to be lifted up like this. And every other king after him is going to be compared to David, whether good or bad. And the reason why I think the Bible lifts David up as this ideal king, and the reason why Jesus referred to this as the son of David over and over and over again is not because we should put David on some sort of pedestal as this perfect leader, which he was definitely not, but rather because even in David's failures, um, David demonstrates what it looks like to have a heart that is set on the Lord. So let's go back to 2 Samuel. Let's finish the chapter. Verse 10, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the, the fighting men. You know, he realized, I'm not, I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting my army. I'm trusting my resources. And so he said to the Lord, 
I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you to take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. And of course, this is not the first time that we have seen David confess and repent. We have seen this action in, even in the darkest days, most sinful moments of David's life. David has never had a hard heart that is unwilling to confess and repent. He has always been willing to acknowledge his sin and to repent of it. And, and that right there, I think, that is the, like capital T, capital H, capital E, the marker of a heart that is set on God. Not somebody who's perfect, because none of us are, but when someone fails, when David fails, when we fail, and we will, and he does, what do you do with that? That is the marker of someone who's got a heart that's set on God. What David does is he confesses, he repents, he seeks forgiveness. But do you know what most people do, especially powerful people? Most people, especially powerful people, they dig their heels in and they double down and they pretend that it's not a problem and they, you know, really make it sound like it's someone else's problem. They gaslight others because of, you know, their, their own, their own problems. But, but what David has consistently shown is that the, at the end of the day, he is going to simply rely on the mercy of God. And that difference right there, how David confesses and repents instead of doubling down and pretending this isn't a problem and, and, and covering things up, that difference right there, that might be the real leadership crisis in the American church, is, is leaders who fail to confess, and repent, and come clean, even then bear the consequences of that. Now, the story keeps going, and God sends a prophet to warn David of, of, um, of calamity, of judgment, because there's consequences to sin, and so a plague breaks out in Israel. When David sees the plague um, striking all those people in Israel, we see his repentant heart and who he really is. And listen to what he writes here. This is what he says. He said to the Lord, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong. They're but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall on me and my family. So God sends the prophet back to David in uh, verse 18. The Lord says, um, go and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord commanded through Gad the prophet. And when Arona looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arun asked, why has the Lord, the king, come to his servant? Well, to buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let my Lord, the king, take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges, and ox for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna, gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Arun, and this is so good. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Now, if you remember back um, several weeks ago, and I don't expect you to remember back several weeks ago, we read 2 Samuel 7. And in 2 Samuel 7, um, David has it in his heart that he wants to build a temple to the Lord. This is like his life's ambition. This is the big thing that he wants to do. But the Lord said no. Like David had plans to do this for God, but God didn't want this. He wanted something else. And so um, instead, uh, the Lord said that Solomon, David's son, would build um, this temple to the Lord. 
So if you go forward in the Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, when the temple gets built, you know, this is David's great ambition. His son Solomon is the one who actually does it, but it's David's great ambition. And what we learn in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 is that the temple that Solomon builds is built right here on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And I think that is just beautiful. Like it's, it's at this place where the temple to honor the Lord, David's great ambition in life, will be right here at the marker of his confession and his repentance and his return to the Lord. It's beautiful. You know, David's not perfect. We shouldn't put him up on a pedestal as a perfect person because he's not. He's a leader who fails like all of us fail, but at the end of the day, David has consistently shown us how to have a heart that is set on God, how to have a heart that is set on the Lord, not a hard heart that refuses to return, but in his failure, he returns to the Lord. He throws himself on God's mercy. And I just love how the Lord honors this by having Solomon build the temple right on this place of his repentance. It's just so beautiful. And so today, as we think about David, I mean, you know, this is what I love maybe most about him at all, of all his life. I mean, he's had so many things that are so inspiring, but when you come down to it, I mean, he's been an incredible leader, but even in his failures and his wanderings and his complacency and his disordered desires and his way that he's gotten things wrong, he may, has maintained a heart that is focused on the Lord. And in his failure, he has been quick to return, quick to confess, and ultimately the Lord honors him for that. Listen, may you have a heart that is like David. Not that you're gonna be perfect, not that you're never going to stumble, not that you're never gonna have complacency or lose sight of what's important or, or have disordered desires where you start to chase after the wrong things, but, but when that takes place, may you have a heart that is quick to return, that is quick to confess, that is quick to repent, that is quick to depend itself on the mercy of God. And what you're gonna find is that the Lord honors that humility because that is a heart that is set on God. Let's pray together. And so Father, today as we um, get to the end of the series and we see it, this unraveling that continues with David, complacency, disordered desires, these things that, that fall apart. We're also inspired how he is quick to return to you, quick to confess. And so today I just want to invite everyone to, to, to think in our own lives. Maybe there are some places where we need to return to you, places of complacency, things we've been chasing after that are the wrong things. And instead of just dealing with these and being frustrated with them, may we instead be quick to bring these things before the Lord, to find repentance and confession and acknowledgement of sin, because in this we find redemption through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that as we bring our sin, our failure, our complacency, our, our disordered desires before you, in Jesus, we always find mercy. And so I want to pray with anyone who's with us today who doesn't know the mercy of God themselves. We offer a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? A simple prayer of faith that aligns us with you so that we may live a life that honors you, having hearts that are set on the Lord. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here. We want to thank everyone who helped make this service possible. And we want to especially thank Pastor Spencer for sharing this powerful message. And speaking of, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing this message, 
we encourage you to like and share this experience on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we look forward to seeing you back here next week as we conclude our sermon series on David. See you next time.